Hallelujah. Turn with me, if you would, to your Bibles. And as you're gathering those or pulling out your phone or looking to the screen behind me, I'd just like to say that not always do you get to speak having received confirmation of the Word. Sometimes you're even a little uneasy. Lord, is this really it? Sometimes, as Brother McClintock confessed last week, you even resist, and God, I don't want to preach this. But when you do receive confirmation, (laughs) oh, it feels good in the Spirit. And it brings with it a confidence, not not in yourself, because when those things are lined up, (laughs) you had nothing to do with it. You know it was God at work. So it brings a confidence and an authority in the spirit to speak what God has laid on your heart. And Sister Soto, (laughs) that keynote that you shared was nothing but confirmation for this word that we're all about to partake in right now. And so thank you for being sensitive to the spirit. And God has knit us together and orchestrated this for this to be the word today. To Urshan. We're going to read first in 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 18. And I'm reading from the New Century Version. And it says, Elisha said, Take the arrows. So Jehoash took them. Then Elisha said to him, Strike the ground. So Jehoash struck the ground three times and stopped stopped. And skipping forward into the New Testament, John chapter 8, verse 31, reading this time from the King James Version. John 8, 31 reads that, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue, everybody say continue, continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Then, if ye continue in my word, Then are ye my disciples indeed. And as we go to pray once more, I'd simply like to title this message this morning, Living Below Your Calling. Living Below Your Calling. Pray with me, for me, pray for yourselves. I'm going to need God's grace to get through this and combine these two scriptures hallelujah but i know that the lord has something special to impart to us this morning god i thank you lord for the confirmation of your word lord and ministering through sister soto this morning i pray now that as your word goes forth god that the seed would be sown on good ground lord hallelujah because i know you desire to bring forth much fruit god 30 60 and 100 fold God, I resist any wayside ground or thorny ground or stony ground. God, but we desire good ground, Lord, in each of our lives. Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, give me the grace, Lord, to articulate and to share that which you have downloaded into my spirit, God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm serious about helping me in prayer because, ah, 
And I need clear eyesight to read my notes. Calling. Calling. It's one of those terms that in Pentecost we often use, assuming that everyone understands what that means. And to a large degree, we, we get the gist of it, even if we don't have a specific definition. We all have a general or collective calling as the body of Christ, the, the call to salvation, to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name, to, to receive the Holy Ghost. And we all have a, a, a call to holiness, be holy for I am holy, come out from among them and be separate. And we all have a, a call to fulfill the Great Commission. In some way, shape, or form. There's other people, perhaps they have a ministry of evangelism or door knocking or what, and somebody else has a, a ministry of Bible study, whatever, but we are all called to be a part of the Great Commission. That is a collective or general calling, but God also calls each of us personally. Personally. And this is likely nothing that you've heard before. If you've grown up in an apostolic youth group, you've heard about your calling. You've been challenged to fulfill your calling. Each of us has that personal calling. Moses' call was not David's call. And David's call was not Esther's call. Each of them had a call upon their lives that was specific to the time and circumstances in which they lived. And in the closing chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus foretells, he's, he's kind of walking, he's there with Peter, and he foretells of Peter's rather unkind, to put it mildly, his unkind death, only to have Peter then glance toward John and say, well, well what about him? Right? Like he's trying to deflect or something. Well, what about, what about John? And Jesus basically says, if I want him to live until I return, what is that to you? Follow thou me, Peter. Because Peter's calling was not John's calling. And John's calling was not Peter's calling. And each of your calling is not your neighbor's calling. It's not your roommate's calling. You share a general collective calling, but it is wholly unwise to measure your calling against anyone else's calling. My calling is not Lee Stone King's calling. My calling is not Anthony Mangan's calling. <laughs> Each of us have a personal calling. So for the purposes of this message, and for those of you taking notes, and for those of you not taking notes, pull out your phone and take this down. I'd like to define calling, not just in the gist or the general generic sense that we kind of understand, but I'd like to define calling as the purpose with which God intends for you to impact others and draw you to himself. The purpose with which God intends for you to impact others and to draw you to himself. And with that context in mind, we'd li I'd like to look into the life of Elisha a little further on in his story in 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going to back it up from our initial reading to verse 14. In 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 14, it says, At this time, Elisha became sick. 
before he died, Jehoash, king of Israel. Now, let me interject and say perhaps in uh, the King James Version you read Joash, and it's easy to get Joash here confused with Joash, who is the king of Judah in the 11th chapter. These are two different guys. This is actually Jehoash, and while Joash was the good king of Judah, Jehoash was the not-so-good king of Israel, all right? So, before Elisha died, Jehoash, king of Israel, went to Elisha and cried for him. Jehoash said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Now, if this exclamation sounds familiar, these are the same words that Elisha had cried as he saw Elijah taken up into heaven by that whirlwind of fire. Elisha cried the same ex saying, the same exclamation. And it's a euphemism that meant that a single man was worth all the chariots and horsemen in all of Israel. And it was spoken in honor to represent a change or a transfer of spiritual authority. And so Jehoash recognizing Elisha's impact and, and his meaning and everything that he had done to fulfill that calling that day that he had received. He recognizes and he says, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen, you're worth more than all of them combined. And Elisha's response in verse 15 was to say to Jehoash, take a bow and arrow. So Jehoash took a bow and arrows. Then Elisha said to him, put your hands on the bow. So Jehoash put his hand on the bow. Then Elisha put his hands on the king, king's hands. Now, you could preach a whole message right there. But Elisha put his hands, the man of God, put his hands on the king's hands. I am so thankful for the men and women of God in my life who have put their hands on my hands, so to speak. I, I am indebted to that personal touch that they brought in my life that, that brought with it wisdom and, and grace and such affirmation. And if each of us pause to think of who those individuals are in our lives who have come alongside and put their hands on our hands at key moments, when we were uncertain, as Jehoash was uncertain, as transfer was occurring, you need to go back to them and thank them. You need to affirm them as they affirmed you. I'm not preaching about that, but I'll, I'll deposit that, and you can take it and preach it sometime, all right? Continuing to read in verse 17, Elisha said, open the east window. So Jehoash opened the window. Then Elisha said, shoot. And Jehoash shot. Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory over Aram, or in the King James it says Syria. You will defeat the Arameans at Aphek until you destroy them. Elisha said, take the arrows. So Jehoash took them. Then Elisha said to him, strike the ground. So Jehoash struck the ground one, two, three times. And stopped. And I thought for many years that maybe Jehoash just didn't get it. 
he didn't understand somehow what Elisha had just said, that the arrows represented victory over his enemy. Maybe there was something that, and so he just hit one, two, three times. But I, I now believe that despite the fact that Jehoash knew what each arrow represented, that Jehoash simply thought that three times would be enough. That three times would do. You see, I, I believe Jehoash in that instance, as he was the king of Israel after all, he overestimated himself. His abilities as king or his talents as a strategist or a tactician or, or a fighter. And he overestimated all of these, his prowess in battle. Well, I can have victory after victory and that'll be enough. I can stop right here. But in doing so, he underestimated and he undervalued the word of the prophet, the man of God, when he just told him to strike the ground with the arrows. Maybe Joash reasoned as he did this the first time and the second time, the third. Maybe he's like reasoning entire battles with thousands and tens of thousands of men's lives at stake. The, the, these arrows are going to be the deciding factor? Just, just by throwing these on the ground, we're going to have victory. Like, that really seems difficult to grasp and, and kind of hard to swallow, right? That's kind of much, Elisha. How could something so inconsequential as throwing a few pointed sticks on the floor have such a far-reaching impact? How could something little have such big consequences? What difference will, will my tithe make? Right? I, I'm only working a part-time job, and there's people who give thousands and thousands. Really? Do I, I have to give my tithe and my offering? What difference is that going to make? You mean if, if, if I leave a church card when I leave a tip at a restaurant, that could change somebody's life? Their destiny for eternity? They could pick up, really? I don't know. That seems a little much. A few minutes of prayer and Bible reading each day are really going to have a long-term impact in my ministry? When we reason like that and we look to cut corners and live below our calling, we overestimate our ability to control the outcome of even our small decisions. And we underestimate God's almighty orchestration and his ability to, to make great consequences out of even the smallest of things. We still make our decisions each and every day when we decide what to do or what not to do. God will not violate our free will, but make no mistake, the end game belongs to him and him alone. And so... Elisha had a very strong reaction to Jehoash striking the ground once, twice, three times, and then stopping. No more. 
The man of God was angry, verse 19 says. Angry. The KJV says he was wroth with him. I mean, Elisha flipped out on the king. And, and it, you think, well, wow, that seems to be a pretty strong reaction to a few sticks on the ground. But if we understand Elisha a little better, perhaps we will understand why he just went ballistic. Because, yes, from the very time that we're introduced to Elisha, when Elijah comes alongside and casts his mantle upon him, Elisha is busy at work in the field. Elisha did not go out and say, well, I think two yoke of oxen can do it. I six yoke of oxen can do it. He had 12 yoke of oxen that he was working with that day. He thought big. He dreamed big. He was like, I'm not letting what is good enough hold me back, but I am going to go as far as I can. This was his attitude, his mentality. And when it came time for Elijah, Elijah to leave, go back and read it every sort of waypoint that they came to the man of God told them all right Elisha that's far enough you stay here and Elisha said oh no I'm coming with you and then the next point he'd come right to Jer and he's like all right Elisha you can wait here no 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 I am cleaving to you Elijah wherever you're going I'm going because he would not be dissuaded he was not going to settle for anything less until that point that they had crossed the Jordan in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 says that, again in the New Century Version, after they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, because he had dogged him through this time, he had been faithful to remain. He said, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, oh, leave me a double share of your spirit, a double share. And Elijah, this was the great man of God, the arguably among the greatest prophets in the history of the nation of Israel, that when Jesus was transfigured centuries later, it was Moses and Elijah that was with him. This was Elijah, and his response to Elisha's request was, you've asked a hard thing. <laughs> I mean, if Elijah thought it was hard, wow, that's incredible. That blows my mind. He said, you've asked a hard thing, but if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. If you don't, it won't happen. You see, Elisha was the sort of individual who could not understand why someone would not go above and beyond in everything and anything that they did, especially if it had to do with drawing closer to God. He could not fathom that. I have to confess that if I were there and Elijah had said, what do you want me to do with me? I'd be like, uh, if I could do one or two miracles, whoa, you know. Just a fraction of your spirit, Elijah. That would be more than enough for me. And Elijah, a double portion. He had the vision. He had the calling. He had the spiritual chutzpah to ask for double. That blows my mind. But this was the sort of man that Elisha was. 
And we know throughout the story of Elisha. Now, I don't believe that Elisha was thinking, well, I'm going to do twice as many miracles. He wanted a double portion of the Spirit. And the result was that he did a total of 13 miracles to this point and one after he was dead. There was so much of that double portion that there was a residual effect in his body alone that it raised up a dead man. That's the kind of man that Elisha was. Could not fathom living below your calling. And so he continues. He's like, he, he was so wroth. He was so angry with the king. He said, you should have struck five or six times. At least Jehoash six times. Then you would have struck Aram Aram. Until you had completely destroyed it, you would have wiped them off the earth. Not only would you have destroyed your enemy in your lifetime, but the successive generations would not have to deal with this enemy because you had the opportunity to take care of them. But now you will defeat it only three times. Only three times. I'm not a math major, but I can do the basics. He had struck three times, which was half of six. Half of the six times that Elisha said. And the quiver of a typical foot archer at that time routinely held approximately 12 arrows. So if Jehoash had that typical quiver in his possession, he could have had that same double portion. Elisha said, you know, would have, if you'd gone six times, and yet he very likely had 12 arrows. This is a man who could have had a double portion if he continued to strike with all the arrows that he had in his possession. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. If he continued past the necessary six times and exhausted his supply of 12, Instead, while Elisha asked for and received twice as much, Joash settled for half of the minimum. Half of the minimum. You see, the thing is, however, that when Jehoash stopped after what he thought was enough, right? We have fantastic service. And we have victory after victory after vi And we reach a point in our spirits, well, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm, I'm in the flow of the spirit. Okay, I can let things down a little bit. Things can grow a little lax. That's good enough for now. But when Jehoash stopped after what he thought was enough, he did not know just what the minimum was for him to defeat his enemy. And neither do you. And neither do I. Other kings had vanquished their enemies in a single battle, but that wasn't Jehoash's calling. What's the minimum degree of attention that I have to pay in church? Like, do I get credit for just showing up? And how, how little can I pray each day? Or Terry in the altar? Or what are, what are 
the by the skin of my teeth Bible reading requirements, right? Give me something specific. And how few people do I, I need to impact with the gospel and still be a part of the Great Commission? What's the razor's edge separation from the world that I can have and still call myself apostolic? I don't know the answer to those questions. And neither do you. Because there are no definite, absolute answers to questions like these. We all know that we need to read our Bible, but just how much and how much God is required, I don't know. I don't have that answer for you. Because things like this are dependent upon what God has directed you to do. And you alone. But in the fight for your life, what good are unused arrows? What good are unused arrows? What good were they to Jehoash that day, still in the quiver, unused, never having been struck on the ground? And that question, that question may sound like there is no ceiling to it. I spent much of the first 20 years of my life under the misconception that whatever I did, however many arrows I struck on the ground was never good enough. But don't fall victim to that lie of the devil. God has something that he's placed in your hand purposefully and specifically for you and not to be measured, as I said, against anyone else. Amen. Because that comes with condemnation and will erode your hope. Or you may say, on the other hand, well, I don't have that much. I have, what do I have to, to smite on the ground and ensure a victory in the future? God placed the arrows in Jehoash's hand. God, when God called Moses, he asked him, what's in your hand? He didn't ask Moses to do some great thing that he could not do. He simply asked, what's in your hand, Moses? He took the staff, he threw it down, and that was the beginning. What God has called you to do, he will empower you to do. He's not asking for anything that's not already within your grasp that you already have the capability of doing. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And when you think you're running short of that, God will be there and he will provide. He will not call you to defeat the enemy without giving you the weapons to do so. And he's given you the Holy Ghost. He's given you the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. He's, he's given you great leaders in your life and mentors, your pastor, your parents and, and faculty here and staff. He's given you all that you need to fulfill the calling that God has in your life. I implore you, don't live below your calling. Don't live below your calling. Verse 20 continues that then Elisha died and was buried. Now, I, I don't know if the words from verse 19 were actually Elisha's last words or not. They are the, the last words recorded in Scripture. But to see Jehoash live below his calling, to accept and settle for less than what God intended, must have killed a man like Elisha figuratively, if not literally, to see someone do so little with so much. So little with so much. 
You see, Joash had been obedient to that point. Take a bow and arrows. He took a bow and arrows. Put your hand on the bow. Joash put his hand on the bow. Open the east window. Joash opened the window. Shoot. And Joash shot. Take the arrows. So Jehoash took them. Strike the ground. One, two, three times. And he stopped. Despite what he had in his possession. He had been obedient until he failed to continue to do what he already knew to do. And ended up with less than what was necessary. He ended up living below his calling. And Sister Soto, 10 years ago, I've got it dated, in fact, May 1st, 2010, our general superintendent tweeted something that I saved. I don't know if he's still on Twitter or not, but I'm not anymore, but... What I, I captured that day was his quote that 90% of knowing God's will is doing what you already know to do. We wrestle, we struggle sometimes. We're so anxious about what the next word from God is that we're not living in the present current word that God has spoken and just doing what we know to do. So I ask you, Urshan, what has God already told you to do that you're not yet doing? What bar has God set for your calling that you're saying, well, God, I think it's okay that I'm somewhere around here rather than up here? What weight or sin has God convicted you to lay aside, but it hasn't happened yet, and it's holding you back? Perhaps God is urging and convicting you to a greater commitment to prayer, to get in his word, to personal devotion, regardless of what anyone else is doing or how late they're staying up. Perhaps God has been speaking and ministering in your spirit, and only you know that you need to get out of your comfort zone and begin to minister to people like you've not ministered before. You're not, you may not ever preach general conference or youth congress, but you can speak to somebody across the aisle in a school bus. And let me just relieve you, Sister Soto. We have to believe that God's grace is, is abundant and that people have other opportunities and not everything weighs upon us. Your friend had other opportunities that... Perhaps she took advantage of or didn't. So I don't want you living with guilt all those times. But it was an important salient point that you made nonetheless. John chapter 8 and verse 31. We read at the outset. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Believed. They were already believing. They'd already tipped the scales on belief. He said, if you continue, and that word there means to dwell, to abide, to endure. If you continue in my word, don't stop. As I understand, you're believing, but there's more to it than that. 
If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. They had already believed, but Jesus was challenging them to continue in his word. Then they would be disciples. He was challenging them, don't settle for less than the full calling that I have for your lives. Don't live below your calling. Don't just believe. I've got designs for you to be disciples and not just believers. Oh, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. We are called not only to be believers. We are called to be disciples. That requires discipline. Oh, that's a rough word, isn't it? But you cannot be a disciple by its very definition without discipline in our lives. Belief requires faith, but discipline requires faithfulness. I learned many years ago from, a, from a, a man of God who used to preach on milk crates on the street corners of downtown Toronto. He was trying to carve out a small storefront church even when he was stricken with cancer. I learned from his testimony that, that truly to be full of faith simply means to be faithful, to continue to abide, to dwell, even to endure in the Word. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Anything less than dwelling and abiding in unbroken covenant relationship with Him is less than what God intends for you. It is less than what God intends for you. Tim, it is less than God intends for you. Braylon's less than God intends for you. Alex, Garrett, Randy, everyone under the sound of my voice. Stand with me if you would. I want to conclude with a scripture that we've all heard that was even quickly referenced this morning during our keynote. Paul, under a prisoner of the Roman Empire, writing from far away, more towards the end of his ministry than the beginning, wrote to the church at Philippi because Paul was of the same spirit as Elisha, somebody who could not understand or fathom doing anything less than completely fulfilling and going beyond others' expectations or what others may have called acceptable or not. He wrote to the church at Philippi that I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling, the high calling, the upward calling, the ascending calling. Because when you get in the flow of that calling, it begins to carry you upwards to greater and higher heights. We can't just muscle it out or do it of our own willpower, but we have to get in the flow of that high upward ascending calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I charge you, students of Urshan, don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for what is good enough to get by. Don't settle for, well, I can fake it in front of others and this is just the minimum that I have to do. Don't live below the high calling that God has for you because you don't know what the minimum is in your life. And it may be that you come up short of the minimum, just as Jehoash did. 
God forbid. As we open this time of prayer, God grant us the spirit like Elisha's. Oh, God grant us a desire for a double portion. If there is any that would have the spiritual vision like Elisha, we should be praying not a double portion of Elijah's spirit, but God, I want a double portion of Elisha's spirit. Whatever was on that man of God, I God, I want you to double the double, Lord. I don't want just to desire a double portion, but to walk daily in that high calling. Hallelujah. And I resist. I rebuke the spirit of Jehoash that feels, well, just based on my own aptitudes and my own abilities, I can get by and this is good enough. I rebuke that spirit and that mentality. God draws to higher, greater heights. Hallelujah. Let us not settle to live below our calling. Oh, hallelujah. Pray as God directs you to pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Make that commitment. Oh, God, I'm not settling for anything less. God, I don't want my testimony to be that of Jehoash. My ministry, I know you have more in store, God. And whatever you have for me, God, I commit to doing this. This altar is open. Hallelujah. Step forward if you desire. If God directs you to walk and pray, if God directs you to get in the face before Him, I invite you to do so. But make the don't anyone leave here today. Settle on the mediocre, the minimum calling that God has. Oh God, I want the spirit of a life. Oh, regardless of anyone else's expectations, this is about what God imparts into your spirit. We will live a frustrated life trying to measure up to somebody else's expectations, however well-intentioned they may be. But we must find that calling in God and God alone. exhaust what I have, what you have placed in my possession. God, let me not settle for one, two, three times, but let me completely exhaust all the resources that you've given me, Lord. Hallelujah. And then I'll be guaranteed, I'll be assured that I will not live below my calling God.